at the time, as it was happening, I mean, the first week of it was jubilation because we were getting brilliant rain, it was beautiful. But then once we realised that that low wasn't going to shift, you, you, I knew deep in my stomach what was happening, my husband knew. You know, he was looking out in the verandas and he could see the grey brahmas on the ridges that they weren't moving. Then he realised and he got the binoculars out and he like, no. Um, oh, we had about four and a half thousand cattle branded and probably lost about four thousand of them all up. I'm Teresa Hudson, coordinator of the Community Information Centre in Townsville. And in today's episode of Brave, I'm with Wintonshire councillor Tina Elliott. In such a small town, being a councillor isn't a full-time job. So while we talk about her role in the community, we also discuss her life as a farmer and what the droughts and the 2019 floods have meant for her life and family. The Community Information Centre would like to pay respects to the Koa, Wulgarugaba and Bindal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded and produced. Tina, you play a couple of roles here in the Winton community and first let's start with the role of councillor Tina Elliott. Um, is this your first term in council in Winton? It's not my first term. I did actually come in to council in a by-election in the last term. So I, I had done two years prior and then this is, yeah, this will be my full first term. And what made you get into politics? Um, I probably does never... It, sorry, I say politics. Does it, is it politics out here in Winton? Well, it can be, but I think, well, I know I look at it more as a community role um, and it's about our community, building our community and um, supporting our community and doing the best. Um, you know, coming from, I think, three or four generations of family living here, I want to be part of the building structure for my children if they choose to, to be here as well. What do you, what was your expectation coming in? And what's, what's your, um, where are you at now? Oh, look, that's a big question because I think I went in there blindly and naively, not really knowing what the expectation was. And it was, it was just, it was just different to what I think I thought it was going to be. Um, it's about having robust discussions and coming from like working in a lot of committees and, and, um, just coming from a hands-on role when you want to, or you, you know, in prior jobs, you've been a doer, you, you want to get the job done and then you come into a, a council environment where you're only there to make strategic um, decisions. You're not there to implement them. There's people to implement what decisions you make and it's a really hard thing to get your head around. It's, it's like, well, what do I do now? Nothing. <laughs> mm. Especially if you're a doer as in you want to you yeah. get your hands dirty and you yeah. want to be involved in the yeah. full process and um, the physical side of yeah. it. Yeah, and, and it's not. It's not meant to be. No, you have to – never the two should meet <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to keep when you – that's what got you into council is your community work and then not being able to follow through and you rely on other people. So you, you do have to put your faith into your staff but it just might not be how you would do things. So – but at the end of the day, if the job gets done or the vision comes mm. to life, how one person does it to the next, as long as the end goals That's exactly achieved, right. right. Eye on the prize. Yeah. yeah. That can be really challenging and mm. I've um, come across that too in previous roles as mm. myself. Yeah. yeah. So that's probably the big, the big learning curve that I had to go through. What would be your advice for anyone and any upcoming people in your community who would be considering it in the future? Well... Well, that's definitely one of the things is that you have to be very well aware of what your role is, which is strategic. So you're coming in to make sure that we can implement plans five to ten years 
down the track, that will put us in good stead to to move forward from what has been set up for us by our forebearers. Mm. What's your vision for why you're in council and what do you hopefully you can look back on that you've achieved in council? Um, probably my vision and to be able to look back and say that we had made it a stronger and more vibrant place to live than what we have now, uh, to make it a destination that people talk about. They come to Winton, you know, they just don't come for one day. They come here for a week. I'd love to see us at the Cairns of the Outback, um, you know, for tourism. Um, I would also like to see that we have investment in our in, in different um, economic strategies to make us more uh, diversified. I suppose diversified, or yeah, uh, just strengthening what we've got. I mean, our bread and butter has always been our rural agricultural mm. um, ec- economy. So we just need to be finding other ways to support that because I don't think that'll ever change. But technologies and um, improvements in our ag sector will definitely come and as they come, it's probably at the cost of um, human resources. Um, so we need to be finding new ways to keep people in, in rural areas. Yeah. Throughout a few of our chats with people here in Winton, um, the word diversifying has come up a fair bit mm. that over the last few years they've had to diversify and that's been from uh, Melanie at the news agent to um, Hilton in aviation mm. and, and everywhere in between. So that's really good to see that not only council is looking at future economic diversification, but you've got your people in the community also on that journey as well. Mm. Which is well really important. I mean, we need to be sustainable, but we also need to be growing. We just, you know, if you just sustain, you're just sitting there, but we need to do better than that. So we all have to diversify. We all have to find new ways, um, new technologies, new new businesses. Um, yeah. Mm. So as a councillor here in a regional town with a small council, it's not your full-time job, is it? No. Um, my main role is um, was probably supporting my husband on our uh, property, um, which is in the north of uh, north of our shire. Yeah. Mm. Are you required as a counsellor here to, like, is it so many hours that you have to give or you're available? So, like, I'm guessing you go up the streets and you're seen as counsellor Tina, not Tina Elliott. <laughs> it's, um, it, being a counsellor in, in a small community is what you make it. You are required, you have to attend to one council meeting a month. Besides that, it's up to you what you do. But, I mean, you walk down the street, you're going to get people talking to you about the rubbish that wasn't collected or the pothole that's in the main street that hasn't been fixed and that lawn wasn't mowed short enough or things like that. But we have to re- – I know they're all operational, but that's the reason we got voted in is because we are the locals, we're approachable, um, we're at, we have been out in the community, um, we have run businesses. So, you know, that's that's the whole reasoning and it's a full circle. Mm. So let's talk about mm. Tina, the mum, the wife, the cattle property owner. What um, – you said you are generation – three or four generations here in Winton, is that right? That's correct, yeah. So you grew up here? I did. Um, did your parents grow up here? They did. <laughs> and um, so it started with your grandparents? My grandparents, yes. Um, yeah. yeah. What was growing up here like for you? Oh, growing up here was probably very different to what we see now. We had more more people in the community, more kids in the school, um, but probably lost a lot less opportunity um, than what is on offer now um, because we didn't have fast cars, we didn't holiday away, um, the income just wasn't there to support those types of lifestyles. 
the only thing we probably done more of was play sport. Mm-hmm. But we had a lot more children to, to um, engage with. Were your family into cattle farming? Um, my mother's family, they were um, on uh, sheep and cattle properties. And my father's family were uh, managers of Old Cook Station um, when Dad was young. And both of those properties uh, were neighbouring with the Diamantina River man- uh, running through them. So hence I was the first born and first girl born in our family. And my name is actually Diamantina. So I was named after the river. <laughs> I don't know if that's good, bad or indifferent. Yeah, so you've yeah. grown up around the farming yeah. life and yep. been immersed in it. What did you enjoy about it and, and what didn't you enjoy? Um, I think what I enjoyed was just our family. If, you know, it was always when we went to our grandparents' properties, it was always not just us. There was always everyone else there with their children and cousins and it was just always a big time. It was a gathering. Um, and you'd sit down, you have your smokos in the morning and the smokos in the afternoons and the lunch and the dinner. It was just one big communal <laughs> get-together get together and, and it, it just really made it special. It made that um, the distances that you had to travel and um, the distances of being isolated, um, it made it doable and it made it special. Yeah. Mm. So there was nothing in that that made you wanted to move away? I'd done five years, four years, sorry, in Townsville, yeah. So that was in my late 20s, early 30s, yeah. Yeah, and then still you got brought back to the land. Yeah. What brought you back? Married my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So did you meet him in in Townsville here in Winton? Well, I I knew his family all my life. I just didn't really know him. And when I was working in Townsville, we just met up and, um, yeah, just went from there. Lovely. So when did you get married? Uh, 2004. Yeah. How far is your cattle property outside of town? It's an hour drive. Yeah, yeah, which isn't too bad. So you travel into town? Is is an Monday? Drive. Yeah, Mondays and Fridays, and probably I'll go home on a Wednesday or one day during the week. You know, so so you're on a cattle station, and how many had a cattle do you have there? Oh, uh, look, yeah, nothing like what we used to have. Um, yeah, we've just we've we've just stocked up to what we could buy back. How many head did you have before the floods? Oh, we had about four and a half thousand. We just had actually just done a round of mastering because we were selling off uh, the wieners. So that's how come I could be pretty accurate in what we had. Um, and probably lost about 4,000 of them all up. That must be absolutely soil crushing because prior to the floods, mm. it was drought. Yep. And you had just poured so much into yep. keeping those cattle alive through the drought and then a flood comes along. Yeah. Without saying what was that like, because that was ultimately, let's say, that was really shit. Oh, it's awful. But how do you get through that? Well, at the time, as it was happening, I mean, the first week of it was jubilation because we were getting brilliant rain. It was beautiful. But then once we realised that that low wasn't going to shift and it was going to keep sitting over us and then the cold wind started and in the middle of the night and you, you, I knew deep in my stomach what was happening. My husband knew. And had you ever been like through something like this in your life before? I hadn't, but my husband, I can't remember how old he was, but there was a cyclone, I think it might have been in 1975 called Cyclone Ted, and it done the same thing, but it was to sheep and they lost a lot of sheep that way. Um, so, no, I, I hadn't experienced it, but he, in the back of his mind, had. So, um, and then in that second week when all that started to happen, I was in town with Max and my husband was out of town and, um, yeah, So you were stuck here. Your husband was stuck there. Um, Waters subside. 
How long did it take for that to happen? Oh, um, probably because we're on black soil, you really can't, even if you have half an inch, you go outside and, and it sticks to you. So he couldn't really do anything. Um, and once it probably took a couple of days for the water to go down from around the house, um, he could actually, you know, he was looking out in the verandas and he could see, as we had grey brahmas, he could see the grey brahmas on the ridges and he thought, oh, originally he thought, oh, that's great, there's some still there. But then they weren't moving. Then he realised and he got the binoculars out and he thought, no. That's that's so once, he, and once that started to happen, the reality was actually sinking in. I decided that I'd try and get a helicopter to get him out just because it was getting a bit much. Yeah. So what services did you use in the months following the floods? Probably the biggest help that I found out through it all was through the Neighbourhood Centre. Um, just by the girls here being local, they knew who needed help and who didn't. They were able to point everyone in the right direction because I have to credit Shane Stone and his um, um, Enculera, I'll call it. I know that it's changed now, the acronyms, but that was the North Queensland Livestock Industry Recovery something. Agency, yeah. Agency, that's right. Um, you know, just with that $75,000 one-off payment that came, that was the best mental health uh, initiative that was done. Did it come quickly? It came quickly once they made the decision to do it. It was a no frills. It was a three-pager, I think, or might even been a two-page form, which made it simple. And I know that as soon as you heard that that money was available, it just went, oh, because up until then you're going in your mind, how am I going to pay for the disposal of the carcasses? How am I going to pay staff to come out and do this? Because all of a sudden everything's gone. But you know you had, you had to do that. Um, so that there, I believe they've saved lives by doing that. And did people it, come out and remove those carcasses for you because doing that yourself? Yeah, we had um, local people that we do normally employ. I mean, their jobs are gone too. And um, that paid for the load of hire and it also paid for the, 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 um, the, the wage component of it by employing these boys to come out and, and do the disposal. Yeah, it, it, it was extremely instrumental and um, the ladies here with any of the other funding that come in, they just knew who to ring, how to get it done and it was no questions. It wasn't – you didn't feel like you were taking a hand out. You just knew they made it They made it right and they'd done it with dignity for people. So important. Absolutely. In that process and mm. in that moment, um, it really goes to show that we're community mm. engagement – and how important that sector is. I think a lot of people underestimate how much community development brings. Mm. Um, we've seen a lot of people who have said over recovery that there's people worse off than them. They didn't want to take the hand out and it was very hard. And then, you know, 12 months down, two years post-flood and even two and a half years as flood mm. um, relief started to wrap up on the 30th of June – we were only then starting to see people come out and say, okay, now we'll take help. Mm. We know that's because people are strong and resilient and don't, and don't want to do it. How do, we, how do we change that and let people know it's okay to come forward now and not two years later? Like let's not wait to two years. It is hard. I, I think maybe it might be the situation you're in at the time. I know that from that day forward I had to be looking for ways to get ourselves out of the situation we were in because our income had gone so I knew it was imperative I'd do it. Maybe some people weren't sure where their business was sitting. Maybe they might have thought they could do with not having to have the, hand, the help. But as, as you said, as, as the 
seasons progressed, they haven't been a, really a break in the season. It was just drought, monsoon, drought. So I would, I would just think that probably the people that have been sitting back just really do need the help. They, maybe their business just carried what they'd been through and they just had the, the old stoic approach, which is we'll be right, we'll get, we'll, we can do this. Um, and, and now that it might be that the fact that, oh, well, maybe we can't or maybe we should have taken advantage. So it's and probably a laid-back way of life too or we're too busy sometimes to worry about the financial side of things. Um, it takes a lot of paperwork to get things done um, and that could be something people are scared by that or they don't have the time or they, the other thing is we don't have resources to help people do it. Yeah, you're right in terms of that um, and we find that with our role in Community Information Centre, we get a lot of people come in um, for assistance yeah. just to fill out forms yeah. and they're not legal forms, they're not, we don't want to be sending them off to a solicitor mm. just to fill out a form about their name and details yeah. and whatnot. So places like the Neighbourhood Centre and our role, Community Information Centre, are absolutely important in communities to help fill those small gaps. Mm. Um, but you're only able to serve those people with a relationship with your community. And that, that's right, they just may not know who to approach to ask for help. Yeah. Um, and this centre really sounds like they've got that relationship because I think out of nearly every person that we've interviewed, um, they have mentioned the yeah. neighbourhood centre in terms of one of the best gateways of support here yeah. in Winton. Yeah, well, I'd support that statement. Four and a half thousand cattle down to 500. Yeah. How do you rebuild from that, Tina? Because... Yeah. Definitely doesn't happen overnight. Uh, look, it, you know, I'd been at Wairilla with my husband, I'd, I'd just say off the top of my head, about 15 years. And the whole time there we'd been building our genetics, our bulls, our, our, our Brahmin content herd. So all his genetics of what he'd built had basically gone out the, down the creek. Um, so once we knew that there was possibility that there could be some funding coming through the, the NQ Lira, we were able to um, source cattle and we, were, and we were lucky that we were in a position that we actually grew a lot of grass so that he could go out and we did buy cattle back on terms, which that was, you know, a really great way that people didn't have grass for their cattle so they were happy to sell them in a delayed payment terms. So that was, that was just brilliant for us. It worked and um, you could never thank those people enough because they, they gave us a start back into, into, into uh, rebuilding a herd. But the other thing was we were able to put on adjustment cattle and they just come in and put their cattle on and that paid the bills for, you know, 12 months and it, it worked for them and it worked for us. So we were out of a bad situation and after the, uh, the original shock of it all, once we sat down and worked out a strategy, we focused on that and, and that was to go forward and um, I know it would have to be hard for my husband always looking back but I just try not to look back. I just think, well, we've got to keep walking, take the steps in front of us. This is what we've been given and you just got to deal with that. Mm. What about your children? How did they cope in that journey of recovery? Yeah, well, it was a bit tough for the girls. Because sometimes the kids get... Um, yeah. Mm. So it was hard for them not to be at home, um, you know, to come home and help. Um, but it's not something that you'd want them to do, to do mm. or to see if you had a choice and... Their, my choice was for, our choice was for them to stay at school, um, and my little Max, um, we didn't get out there until about two or three weeks after the event from memory, and um, but it was very confronting when he did see what he seen, because I think we were in town, we were removed from the situation a little bit, mm. um, so 
yeah, you know, my experience is going to be totally different to how my husband's was, you know. So I had to be, as the way I looked at it, once we decided to get him out, we had to get him out. And, um, yeah, I had to be the strong person to work out, you know, just to keep that business, you know, find a way through the path that um, possibly was there, just to find it and um, keep, you know, get that funding so that we can do and keep, keep him there because that's his life. Yeah, I, he's been on the land for all of his yeah, life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What does the future look like for your cattle property and, and for your family? Oh, I'm, I'm hopeful it's very positive. Um, we sold a property after the event, um, which helped reduce debt and put us in a position that we could do a few little things. Um, so I'm positive that, positively hopeful that we'll we'll be able to stay there and, and, and continue on what, what my husband wants to do. Um, which Doing is, what you love. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's, it, it's very trying and testing and, um, yeah. Not for the faint-hearted. Oh, I, I probably, probably because I, I, I do know that during the drought prior to this, you know, I probably would never have stayed. I, it was getting too tough and um, it's just only the fact that my husband, he, he's, you know, just determined, resolved that he's not going anywhere and that's okay. That's his life. And, yeah. Yeah, once, yeah. I, I get that. I was growing, I grew up on a cane. Yep. Um, farms and my whole family, my dad's family, were all in cane farms. So um, I get the farming life in that it's something and it was family mm. come through the generations mm. and um, it's not something that you can walk away from no. um, easy. No. And and one thing from out here is that when it when it's, when the seasons are good, it's a nice, it's a wonderful life to live, mm. um, but unfortunately the seasons are very far and few between, and it's a tough life. It's a tough gig most of the time. Yeah. But have you ever received support from any organisations like Bale of Hay or no. Um, no. any other services oh, throughout the years? Oh look, um, Dread Angels I think may have come to Winton a couple of times and gave you little packages and um, uh, rural aid. Uh, yeah, there's been a few there's and, and um, Blaze Aid, they came out after the monsoon. Um, they never come out to our property but that's because we chose we don't, you know, we didn't want anyone there. Um, we were just happy to do our own stuff. and mm. So you were one of those ones. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That said yeah, we're, we're fine. We're fine, yeah. Um, <laughs> we're and, fine, we don't need yeah, any help, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's just probably personalities. We're not into hosting people that well and, you know, we enjoy our own company so probably that's antisocial. Why, yeah, that's probably why you live 100 kilometres <laughs> out of town. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Tina, thank you for joining no me worries. this morning and being brave to sit down yeah. and tell me a bit of your story. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you. Brave is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.